Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi guys and welcome to Heavy Metal Tones. Uh, this week's uh, episode um, is going to um, sort of follow on from last week's one. We've got a lot of good feedback, very very uh, enthusiastic listeners on the R101. So I thought I'd do another one in a similar vein. Uh, this one not so much heavy metal but some prog. Um, again, as I said before, it's not a dirty word, is it now guys? It's, uh, it's just something that... Uh, we should all embrace. So this week's episode, firstly, in first part, ooh, keep it in the mic. First part of it is about um, the fantastic life and achievements of Amelia Earhart. Um, those who don't know who Amelia, who Amelia Earhart is, um, well, you just have to listen in and find out, won't you guys? Um, so sit down, get comfortable. Again, sorry if I sound nasally. Still, I'm still getting over. Um, the COVID, and I had my flu shot this morning, so who knows? Uh, God, it sounds like an old man's medical corner, doesn't it? Next, I'll be talking about supports and suppositories and <laughs> things like that. Anyway, that, that aside, um, Amelia Earhart, born on July 24th, 1897, and she disappeared on July 2nd, 1937. A uh, bit of a mystery. Isn't really, but it, 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 it sort of is and it isn't really. Um, she was declared dead, though, on January the 5th, 1939, so it took two years before they just said, well, yeah, she's definitely gone. Uh, she was an American a- aviation pioneer and author. She was the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She met uh, many other records as well. Uh, one was the first aviator to promote commercial air travel, wrote best-selling books about her flying experiences and was influential in... Instrumental in the information of the 99s, an organization, organization of female pilots. So you can see uh, it's she's a really interesting character. Um, in a time when, um, let's be honest, it, we still live in a misogynistic male world. Females should know their place, raise their children, look after the house. Now, I'm not condoning that. Please, people out there, no, 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 no. This is what... Just a, uh, a thinking back uh, of what it was like then. You know, it wasn't a, a really great place to be a woman, to be honest. Um, yes, you had the vote. Yes, you could work, but you didn't. Re- you were still, you know, um, considered a second class, really. So to 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 go ahead and do what she did, um, <coughs> pardon me, is is quite amazing. Um, so. 
here goes. So, uh, born, uh, born and raised in Atchison, Kansas, and later in Des Moines, Iowa, Earhart developed a passion for adventure of a young own age, steadily gaining flying experience from her, her 20s. In 1928, Earhart became the first female passenger to cross the Atlantic by airplane, accompanying pilot Wilmer Schultz, for which he achieved, she achieved celebrity status. In 1932, piloting the Lockheed Vega 5B, Earhart made a non-stop solo transatlantic flight, becoming the first woman to achieve such a feat. She received the United States Distinguished Flying Cross for the accomplishment in 1935. Earhart became a visiting faculty member of Purdue University as an advisor to aeronautical engineering and a career counsellor to female students. She was also a member of the National Women's Party and early supporter of Equal Rights Amendment. So you can see she she really was one of those pioneering women, um, those ones that would that I have two adult daughters and I know that they can now do anything they want in their lives, absolutely anything. And I think the important thing here, and I truly am a very much a, a strong feminist, I really believe that she paved the way. F- she was one of those ones that paved the way for people to believe, hey, I can do this. Now it didn't end well for her. Um, but in a lot of these um, tragic stories in life, they never do, do they? Um, you know. Anyway, um, just going to okay. Known as one of the most inspirational American figures in aviation from the 1920s throughout the 30s, Earhart's legacy is often compared to the early astronomical, uh, aeronautical career of pioneer aviators like Charles Lindbergh, as well as the figures, uh, as as to as well as to figure like First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt for their close friendship and lasting impact on the issue of women's causes of that period. So she was connected with, you know, Roosevelt as well. And that's a, that's a you know, a Roosevelt, Pennsylvania American, um, which is interesting. So the people she, um, the people that she, the circle she, she mixed in um, was inspirational as well. Um, during the attempt to become the first woman to complete a circumnavigational flight of the globe in 1937, in a Pardew-funded Lockheed Model 10E Electra, um, take note of that, the Electra, 10E Electra, Earhart and navigator Fred Noonan disappeared over the central Pacific Ocean near Howland Island. That's near New Guinea. For those people who don't know where that is, it's a small island just near New Guinea. There were two last seen in London, they were seen in New Guinea on July the 2nd, 1937. On the last day, on the last stand stop before Highland Island, one of their final legs of the flight, she presumably lost her life in the Pacific during the circumnavigation, just three weeks prior to her 40th birthday. So she was young. I mean, you know, uh, by standards then, um, I think the life expectancy in America in the late 30s for women was about 60 to 70. So she wasn't uh, old, but she wasn't young either, you know. Um, it's really sad because they went missing. I mean, the 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 stories is that they had crash landed on the island. Um, could they find? Um, I mean, people look for the remains. People are still looking for the remains now. It's an interesting, you know. Did they try to get off? Did they get off? Did they deliberately disappear? This is other sort of um, theories, you know. Uh, it's still eighty years on. People are still. Uh, investigating, which I find incredible. Um, decades after her presumed death, Earhart was introdu- inducted to the National Aviation Hall of Fame in 1968. 
and the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1973. She now has several commemorative memorials named in her honour around the United States, including an urban park, an airport, a residential hall, a museum, a research foundation, a bridge, a cargo ship, an earthfield dam, four schools, a hotel, a playhouse, a library, multiple roads and more. Wow, see? How many people can say they did that in their lives? I know she lost her life early. Uh, but, you know, these... You don't... Pioneers often did, didn't they? I mean, when the Australian um, pioneers trekked across this continent, a lot of them didn't come back. When the Americans went, you know, the American pioneers went across the continent and up the continent, they didn't often come back. Fighting um, hostile natives, um, you know, barren uh, landscapes, heat, um, food, you know, dietary differences, wildlife. And she was a similar fighting, um, you know, air condition the, the 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 how the the plane would 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 go. No one had ever done that before across and around the world. I mean, it's done now. We don't even blink at it. But without people like Amelia, um, this was not going to happen. So you get on your plane to travel, you know, even just to travel up the country, or you know, from going from where I am, say Canberra to Melbourne, or or London to New York. You've got to think to yourself, um, someone had to do it first. And these people, and she was one of them. I mean, forgotten, sadly, you know, in the same breath, um, Fred Noonan. We know, we know that, um, you know, history will talk about Earhart because, because the fact that she was the first woman to do this. But the lost name, I think, is Noonan. I feel sad for him. Um, and you'll understand why I've mentioned this and why we're going to go into the song um, that relates to it afterwards in the second half. Um, it does tune to, uh, it wants to counter, it wants to counteract that and, and bring him back into the history books. Because he lost his life as well, did he not? Um, doing the same thing uh, that she was doing. You know? Okay. So. It's an inter- So, if you get a chance, have a look at a picture of the Lockheed Electra 10E that she flew in. It's a twin prop plane. It's not very big. Um, it wouldn't be that comfortable. Um, they were flying at certain altitudes where they were just on the border where they needed oxygen. Um, didn't need oxygen, I'm sorry. So, um, they weren't getting great heights, which jumbo jets get now. So, they can fly in slipstreams and do things with much less hassle. These... Um, these these planes that they were flying in were much much smaller, um, and they didn't have all of the radio contacts that they would have. Um, you know, they just didn't. Okay, um, she started planning the flight in 1936. Um, it was going to be 29,000 miles or 47,000 kilometers. It fl- roughly followed the equatorial route. Um, with finances from per- from Purdue in 1936, a Lockheed Electra 10E. The registration NR16020 for you plane nerds was built in Lockheed Aircraft Company to her specification, so she got it built for her, which included extensive modifications to the fuselage to incorporate any additional fuel tanks. Earhart dubbed the twin engine monoplane her flying laboratory. Fantastic. The plane was built at Lockheed's Burbank, California plant, and after delivery, it was handed, hangered at Mance's United Air Services. Uh, which is not far from the Lockheed plant. 
Although the, the lecture was publicised as a flying laboratory, little useful science was planned, and the flight was arranged around Earhart's intention to circumnavigate the globe, along with gathering raw material and public attention for her next book. So she was basically looking, it was like a research flight, basically. You know, um, she's fantastic. Again, you know, wonderful, um, wonderful vision she had. All right. She's what she is one of my heroes actually. So it's really quite interesting to um, to do this podcast and talk about her because I think it'd be nice to open the eyes of some people to maybe bring her into the into the fore a bit more and bring music accompanying it as well. You know. So she tried first though. She left on the seventeenth of March, nineteen thirty-seven, and her, her crew and flew the first leg from Oakland to California to Honolulu, Hawaii. In addition to Earhart and Noonan, Harry Manning and Mance was acting as Earhart's technical advisor on board, but due to lubrication and galing problems with the propeller hubs, variants, variable pitching mechanisms, sorry, the aircraft needed servicing in Hawaii. Ultimately, the Electra ended up in the United States Navy Luke Field on Ford Island in Pearl Harbor. The flight was resumed three days later with Luke Field near Hart, Noonan and Manning on board. Next destination was Howland Island, a small island in the Pacific. Manning, only skilled radiator operator, had managed had made arrangements to use radio direction, finding uh, finding to home in on the island. The flight never left Luke Field during the takeoff run. There was an uncontrolled ground loop. I don't, I'm not sure what that means. I will look in, you can look into that. The, the forward loot landing gear collapsed. Both propellers hit the ground and the plane skidded to it on its belly. And a proportion of the runway was damaged and the cause of the ground loop is, is controversial. Some witnesses at Luke Field, including the Associated Press journalist, said they saw a tyre blow. Earhart thought, though, either, uh, thought either the Electra's right tyre had blown or the right landing gear had collapsed. Some sources, including Mance, cited pilot error. Well... I mean, these things happen, don't they? Um, a ground loop is a rapid rotation of a fixed-wing aircraft. So it's spinning, basically. It makes sense. Ground loop makes sense. Um, just looked into that quickly for you guys. So you can see that the, the, then it comes to the second attempt. And this, I think, sadly, this is where it all came to a cropper. While the Electra was being prepared, Earhart and Putnam secured additional funds and prepared for a second attempt. This time flying west to east, the second attempt began with an unpublicized flight from Oakland to Miami, Florida. After arriving there, Earhart publicly announced her plans to circumnavigate the globe. The flight's opposite direction was partly the result of changes in global winds. With the patterns along the planned route since oh, and were the patterns along the planned route since earlier attempts on the second flight, Fred Noonan was Earhart's only crew member. The pair departed Miami on the June the first, and numerous stops in South Africa, Africa, the Indian subcontinent, and Southeast Asia arrived in La Ley, New Guinea, on June 29, nineteen thirty-seven. At this stage, about twenty-two thousand miles or thirty-five thousand kilometers of the journey had been completed. So quite. Most of the journey, the remaining 7,000 miles would be over the Pacific. They would then leave Laos um, at, on July the 2nd, 1937, at 10 a.m. in the morning. Um, and they would head then towards Howland Island. Um, the last known position reported was near the Nukamanu Islands, about 800 miles or 700 nautical miles, 1,000 kilometers into the flight. During the flight, Noonan may have been able to do some celestial navigation to determine his position if crossing the international date line was not taken into account. Um, they used 
the radio equipment in preparation for the trip to Howland Island, the U.S. Coast Guard had sent the cutter USGC Istica to the island. The cutter offered many services such as a ferrying news reports to the island, but also had communication and navigation functions. The plan was that the cutter would communicate with Earhart's air- aircraft via radio transmission, a radio homing signal to make it easier to find Howland Island. Without precise celestial navigation, do do radio direction finding, if Earhart used her 500 kilohertz transmitter, use an ex- experimental high frequency direction finder for Earhart's voice, uh, Earhart's voice transmissions, and use her boilers to make smoke, create a dark column of smoke, and can be seen over the horizon. All of the navigation methods would fail to guide Earhart to Howland Island. The Electra had radio equipment for both communication and navigation, but details about the equipment are not clear. The Electra failed to establish a two-way radio communication and failed to relocate Istica. Many explanations have been proposed for these failures. The plan had a mo- sorry, the plane had a modified Eastern Electric mo- uh, Model 13C transmitter. The 50-watt transmitter was crystal controller and capable of transmitting on a 500 kilohertz. A uh, crystal controller means that the transmitter cannot be used to other on other frequencies. The plan, the plane could transmit only on those three frequencies. That's 500 kilohertz, 3,105 kilohertz, and 6,210 kilohertz. The transmitter had been modified to the factory to divide the 500 kilohertz capacity. The plane had a modified electric model 2OB receiver, um, and the receiver was modified at lower frequencies in the second band. All this really didn't make any difference. I'm just sort of speaking scientific garble here, but let's be honest, we the, the radio went kaput. They couldn't navigate, and um, the plane, I presume, I mean, this is only presumption, ran out of fuel and had to land. Um, and we uh, we don't think it was Howland Island. Um, and that's that's the, the, the nub of it. Um, guys, I don't mean to blown you with science i've just read there it's much off the off of a page that i've been um studying for this um and it uh it looks like all, all the preparations they could do didn't work um of course this is all um this is all hearsay isn't it because we haven't got the plane we haven't got a black box we haven't got them so we don't know really what happened we can surmise what actually happened um Clearly, to me, it was uh, a technical failure. Um, there are some rumours that they deliberately... She was so famous um, that they deliberately went our own, their own way. They faked their disappearance and went to live with anonymity somewhere. I just can't see why um, why someone would do that, uh, considering that they are trying to make a name for women and stroke a blow for feminism and for uh, the science and the and the history and the future of aviation i just don't see why someone would do that personally um yeah so that she did send out one message and it was um, a couple of messages and it um <laughs> to the istica radio log position at 7:30 to 7:40 a.m. it states Air on NWSEZ, running out of gas, only half hour left, can't our US at all, we HR her and are sending on 3105 ES, 500 same time constantly. Now of course I'm not sure what that means, I think they're just trying to, it's obviously radio speak, but it's saying that they're running out of petrol. 
Second message was at 7.42, and it said, cannot use, cannot see you, but gas is running out low, unable to reach you by radio. So they couldn't see the Istica, which says to me they weren't really near um, uh, Howland. If the Istica was off the coast of Howland Island, they would have seen um, the Istica, would they not? No, I'm Itasca. I'm reading that wrong, sorry. So 7.58, a transmission said he could not hear the Itasca and asked them to send voice signals so she could try and make a radio bearing. The transmission was reported by the Itasca as the loudest possible signal indicating Ehart and Noonan were in the media area. They could not send voices at the frequency it asked to, though. So sent Morse code. Her last known transmission was 8.43am. Earhart broadcast, we are on the, on the line 157337. We will repeat this message. We repeat this message on 6210 kHz. Wait. However, a few moments later, she's back on the same frequency with a transmission that was logged as a questionable. We are running on the line and north, north and south. So clearly, there was a lot of confusion in that cockpit. Uh, sad. Yeah. Um, and so really, that's it. They disappeared. Um, you know, and, and there isn't, I mean, people have looked into it more closely. There, were, there was a major search effort um, from last until July 19th, 1937. $4 million, the air and sea search of the Navy and Coast Guard, most coast costly and intensive in U.S. history to that time. So they generally, they really were looking for her, you know. Despite an unprecedented search by the United States Navy and Coast Guard, no physical evidence of Earhart, Noonan, or the Electro 10E was found. The aircraft, US, the air carrier USS Lexington, the battleship USS Colorado, and Itasca, the Japanese oceanographic survey vessel Koshu, and the Japanese seaplane tender Komai searched for six to seven days, covering 15, 1,500 square meter miles, or not 3,900 kilometers, 390,000 kilometers. So, you know, they weren't going to find her. I mean, this is a big world, isn't it? And uh, a lot of islands, a lot of ocean. And if you're in it, you're in the ocean. And these days, those days, the planes were built in such a way that they would just plummet to the bottom. There's no floating sub, um, wreckage. Yeah, there you go. It's it, it really is quite sad, as I said. I mean, they've done lots of checks. They did find um, bone and clothing um, much later. Uh, it was taken away... Um, but it was never DNA checked, um, and I think it's subsequently been lost. That, that particular, those particular items. Um, so she is never going. If it was um, Amelia and Noonan, then um, we will never know, will we? Um, we they've traced her flights. They've reconstructed on computer works. So never going to find. Never. Gonna, I think we should just leave it at that and say, you know. Um, where they found the bones and where they found the clothing was on a place called Garden Island, a Nikamuro Island, in, uh, in the seven site of focus. It's it's near it's near Howland, um, as hundred, it, but it's not. So they, that's then that's where they think that they might have crashed. But if they had crashed near there, would they not have found on the ocean floor? Because we can do these sonar stuff. The plane, um, yeah, the bits of body that they they picked up and the clothing um you know anyway that's the story sadly of Amelia Earhart 
and her final attempt to um, circumnavigate the world. And sad story of the lost name of, of Noonan, um, her co-pilot, lost to history. Um, so, if I haven't blinded you with too much information, a lot of that information I've taken today is from a lot of research sites. I just sort of cut and pasted it into a file. A lot of it's from Wikipedia as well, because um, there's a lot to take in. So, on the uh, on the uh, B side of this one, we're going to quickly talk about uh, Mark Kelly's Marathon. That's Mark Kelly's Marathon. It's the band Marathon. Mark Kelly's the keyboard player for Marillion, has been now for almost 40 years. And um, his uh, solo album, his first solo album that came out um, last year or the year before, uh, and it is a brilliant album, and it really sparked my interest again in Amelia Earhart, because it's based the first. It's a concept album, but the first side um, is basically about Amelia, uh, and I will talk about that in a moment. <coughs> so I'm going to get a cup of tea. I'm feeling a bit hoarse, um, and. Um, I'll be back in a few minutes and I'll talk to you guys after the ads. Bye, guys. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back, guys. Um, I'm feeling a bit crook, to be honest with you. I think the flu jab is making me feel a bit... Um, but anyway, it does that to me. Um, so, second second part. Now, we're talking about Mark Kelly's Marathon. Um, for me, it was probably the best album of 2020. Uh, well, no, because I think the Fish album was the best album of 2020, but this was absolutely close to it. Sorry, a bit of ASMR for you record fans. Just pulling the record sleeve out of its um, out of its uh, cover. So Amelia, uh, it comes the it's the first side of the album, um, and it's uh, it's a it's a uh, sort of it, the first part is it's in several parts. So it starts with Amelia, then Amelia Part One, Shoreline, Amelia Part Two, Whistling at the Sea, Amelia Part Three, Thirteen Bones, When I Fell, and This Time. Um, it fascinates me that, um, I mean, Mark Kelly is one of the most musical people that I've ever, I mean, when I say musical, he's got a beautiful sense of melody. I mean, most pianists do, but he has this, I mean, he, what he brings to Marillion and has done for 40 years is quite incredible. The fact that he's only now, um, releasing uh, or releasing a solo album is quite uh, incredible I would have thought he would have been out there and done a few since then or before then but no he's 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 factored himself into this um, particular album Um, and like he says he says in the liner notes I always knew the basic facts about Amelia Earhart 
She died while trying to fly slowly around the world. Her plane and body never found, except she wasn't flying solo. See, this is the point. She wasn't flying solo. Fred Noonan was with her. And I think this is what's one of the, what really opened my eyes and why I think this song, this album is brilliant. Firstly, musically, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's um, reverential and respectful. It has um, a wonderful underlying melody. It's proggy, so it flows from one track to the other. It's beautiful to listen to. Um, it it was apparently recorded quite quickly. Uh, it came to him in quite uh, an easy fashion, which is, for me, uh, a sign of a really good piece of work. Um, it it does bring and highlight um, um, just why prog is so important I think to me anyway and to, to music I mean we did it last week on the R101 and Maiden are quite proggy you know and we brought to light the world um, the story of the R101 lost to history I mean not that Amelia Earhart is lost to history I mean she's an extremely uh, famous um, face in uh, in the in the world of the, the 20th century um, but it, what it does bring as I said is this whole about um, um Amelia and, and Noonan. So, the, so the first part. Okay, I'm just gonna pick my record once and put that down. So the first part. Okay, I'm gonna read you the lyric. Okay, uh, flying high Pacific sky, waters blue below. We're not in Kansas anymore. I love that. I I, I actually use that term a lot when I, when people don't understand me. I turn around to people and say I'm not in Kansas anymore. Um, we're not in Kansas anymore. The girl who flies alone. Except, of course, her her faithful Fred, to help her find her way, he squeezed his name, his big frame next to hers, Lady Lindy, as what he used to call the plane, the Flying Queen, or simply just A E, a voice of women, for women of and a woman born to fly, charting the ninety nines, forehead in choppy times, um, it, you know, uh, the lyrics. Uh, are written mainly by um, well, maybe by the lead singer actually, but uh, maybe Mark. Um, but the lead singer is uh, he's a first-time vocalist. He was apparently just doing sort of um, small gigs here and there, no big name. And he was they he was they sent his t- tape his um, to Mark. Um, uh, that's Oliver M. Smith, and he sounds. People out there who love Genesis, early Genesis like me, sounds like Peter Gabriel. Now that's not the reason to buy the album or to listen to the song, um, because let's be honest, we don't we want individuality. But it is nice, comforting to hear a voice just like his. Um, you've got Mark Kelly on keyboards, Henry Rogers on drums, Peter Woody Wood on electric guitar, and of course Stephen Rovery chimes in with a bit of, and he's a guitarist from Meridian um, for a little uh, couple of pieces of uh, of help with the album. Um, it's also uh, it's also all it was arranged by Mark Kelly and Guy Vickers, uh, and he writes the he writes the the liner notes on this. Um, it's it's just uh, Wood and jo- it says here John and Woody were always willing to try lots of different guitar parts and sounds until I was happy with the results. Henry did a fantastic job of return, turning the computerized generated rhythms from the early demos into exciting, energetic drum tracks. Because it was um, recorded a lot during COVID, so they weren't in the same studio as each other, which a lot of music has been in the last three or four years, sadly. 
Um, but and I don't think they've toured it even. I don't think they want to. I think I think Mark's too busy with Marillion, to be honest with you. Um, will there be another album that comes out of it? Probably not. And do I care? No. I think that the one album is 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 uh, enough. It really does take you away. I I honestly sailed away in this uh, this album, this side of the album. The album's outside is brilliant. It's more about space travel, but again, it's still about uh, pioneering. But I really loved it. Like the song Thirteen Bones." Thirteen bones in the sand, a mystery just like man. So Noonan became no one. He's nothing but dust. See, so he's disappeared into history. Right? Because, again, we just know about Amelia. Thirteen bones that don't exist. The photographs are all that persist. So they took photographs of the bones. Um, that's right. And then they dis- the bones got lost. So we couldn't do the DNA. So when they found the bones and fabric, which could have been them, and if they found them these days, they probably could have proved it. But they didn't when they found them. Man was like a woman, woman's like a man. What was just a wish has become the truth. The evidence the same without the burden of proof. Amelia, Amelia, gone so long, she's gone so far, Amelia. It's really quite laconic and and um, sad. It has these... It doesn't have a sense of achievement by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it feels... More like um, it feels more like a sense of loss in the music. Uh, I'm not selling it, am I, people? Um, what I mean is that it's 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 not um, it's not it's not something you put on and, and, and want to give you um, dizzying heights of euphoria. It really is more about <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> it's more about um, a sense of. Uh, of, uh, of what could have been and what was and you know I'd like to now after this do some more reading about Fred Noonan and see about his life and what his family left behind um, you know what was his aviation history what was his goals in life clearly he either loved Amelia and I said I haven't researched him yet or he just loved he was in love with, with adventure which is what Amelia was just a love of the adventure, you know, that built in the same vein that those British explorers were like, travelling across Africa and travelling across Australia and America, you know, those Dutch explorers as well in the same way and Magellan and, and you know, making the world smaller. That's what she was trying to do, make the world smaller. So we can hold it in the palm of our hands. Um you know, and, and control it, which is what human and humanity seems to want to do. Yet, um, obviously, it doesn't happen. It is a beautiful package. I'd highly recommend you, many if you're going to buy it or want to get it. It is available on Spotify, but the vinyl uh, is beautiful. Uh, it really is. Lovely artwork there um, by Alex Kelly. Um, uh, the layout of the album was done by um, Carl Glover. It's got, you know, very easy to read, and I mean this when I say this because I'm getting old. Easy to read the lyrics, that's why I love vinyl. You open up the record and the vinyl, that you can easily read the lyrics while you sit there listening to the music, and you can be part of the music. Because some of the lyrics are confusing, because there's a lot there. I mean, the lead singer did say that he was worried that he could get, enunciate the lyrics, the much written, as much words that were written down, um, uh, without sounding, without it getting lost. Um, and, you know, like, okay, the fast, final song on the album, this time, or oh, when I fall, when I fell, 
Um, the walls close in, lost in my thoughts again. The stars shone above when I fall for you. I think this is about the love of Noonan to uh, Amelia. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, but it, it clearly it might not even be anything to do with Amelia. I mean, it, the Amelia part could finish at Bones, which it probably does. I just read the album as one concert concept album so the last two tracks when i fell and this time um i think probably are i mean they could be they're probably not um but i just like to think that it all blends obviously the b-side as i said is puppets 21 2051 um part one search part two arrival part three trial of tears and part four brief history that's for a different uh, review but i think that's all based on a science fiction novel that the guys were reading at the time, uh, but the one we were talking about before, and we're sticking with is Amelia. So, do put it on pod. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple iTunes. It you can buy the CD. You can um, buy the vinyl. Uh, you can YouTube it. In fact, watching him, Mark Kelly play it. Uh, if you want to see a, a musical, um, and we use the word genius. It's tough, tough word here, but a maestro at his want to be at his best and I think this truly uh, album um, if you take Mark Kelly's marathon off and put on um, Marillion uh, you close your eyes and you go this is Marillion with different singer of course but you would think it was it's it's because I that's a high gold mark standard for me because Marillion make very very good quality music I mean uh, 40 odd years of producing music and at that level um, you can see why they do it it's, it's it absolutely stone code they make brilliant stuff so to say this sounds like a really now is not bad on Mark it's not saying that he's copying them or sounding like them it just means he's um, his final work like the, the, the sound quality and the tonality and the breadth of its scope uh, is very Merlin-esque it doesn't say what he recorded it on. I would love to know what he. The old days, records used to put, you know, the bands, what the bands recorded it on. I'm not sure. I think there is Mellotron in there. I think there is definitely Hammond, um, organ. Uh, I don't know if he's Roland or, or something like that that he uses. I'm not a keyboard nut. Um, uh, John, my friend John, who's a pianist, will probably be able to tell you that. Um, I should have asked him, but it doesn't matter. I don't know too much. I know that um, that uh, Steve, uh, that um, Mark, that um, the guitars, when you look into the video, were, were mainly um, things like PRS and so on. Um, that makes sense. I think that um, Stephen Rovery uses his own branded guitar. He's got his own that he likes to use. I'm going to actually put this album on now when I finish here and play it. It's a beautiful album. I highly recommend you listening to it. Um, if I garbled at the beginning too much with information, again, like the R101 podcast, I was just trying to get as much information across. I really enjoy that side of music appreciation. If you like it, please do let me know. Uh, email me on heavymetaltones at gmail.com. That's heavymetaltones at gmail.com. Um, or you know, come to my Facebook. That's New Album and All Things Metal. That's New Album and All Things Metal, and let me know. Uh, private message me. Um, you can find me through there. Uh, otherwise, I am going to attempt to set up a Facebook page for this 
podcast and possibly even um, Instagram. I'm not very good with the social medias. I'm not down with it. I'm trying my best. Um, I mean, just making a podcast was a hurdle, wasn't it? When I got there, so... Uh, and people would still listen. So thank you, by the way, also for listening and for thinking of me when you do want to listen to something and you spend that 40 minutes, to half an hour to 40 minutes with me. It is a real pleasure for me. It means a lot to me. It's one of the one of the most important things I've ever done in my life, I think, outside of my raising my family. Um, getting married and raising my family, I think this truly is uh, a wondrous thing for me. It keeps me motivated and keeps me alive, keeps me thinking and loving music, and I hope it does the same for you. Um, you know from the outset that I'm not um, going to edit these things. So, I mean, I did a bit of editing today, though you might not know. I did. I'm pretty proud of myself. I've started to do little bits here and there. Um, not to get rid of the knocking of the mic, just when I think I've garbled a bit or said the wrong thing. But, um, hey, I don't want to change the way the show goes. So, really nice chatting with you. Keep safe. Keep away from the COVID. It's bloody horrible. Those that have had it, you have my sympathy. Those who are going to catch it, you have my sympathy. Um, keep safe. And please out there, guys, um, start your own podcast. Do something. Be different. It's not hard. It cost me a couple hundred bucks in mics, an old laptop, a space to record, and some enthusiasm. Really, that's it. Um, oh, and a, a monthly subscription, which, I, guys, if I could please, if anyone wants to subs- pay out give me um any sort of donations please go to um my uh buy me a coffee website i will put the link in the description below um it helps me pay for my monthly subscriptions i am thinking about doing um a um patreon um show i don't know what it'd be yet this is the problem i don't want to set a patreon channel up and not know what i'm going to put on it because it's no good me putting a Patreon channel out, you paying $7 a month and me not knowing what I'm going to fill it with. Um, if you have any uh, suggestions, again, please come email me uh, at the email address I just mentioned or Facebook me or whatever. Uh, also, please try and, and, and give me some reviews. Um, the more five-star reviews or reviews I get in general, the more people see my show. And it has had some big spikes recently. Um, and big spikes for me are 60 to 70 downloads it's not a massive spike for you i'm nowhere near the the hundred thousand ones that it could be um and i don't really want to be in that kind of stratosphere i'm happy with my little my little friends that listen to me regularly across the world um but that's me over and done with guys that's me rambling finished enjoy your rest of your day your night your week your month and we'll chat next week um hopefully we'll be doing uh, a double header with me and Benji were talking about Sabaton and the history behind some of the songs he'll be doing the history stuff because he's better at it than I am and I'll do the music stuff because that's what I do and I haven't got to fill my head full of um, science, uh, facts which sometimes do push out my thoughts about music but anyway that's me rambled over for 40 minutes keep safe guys keep rocking and uh, talk to you soon <laughs>